Playoff implications, but before we get into that, let's talk about Taproom. Taproom is the premier beer delivery service. You need hard seltzers, hard beer, hard kombuchas. You go to Taproom, pa.taproom.com. Use promo code FINE50, P-H-I-N-E, 50. Get $50 off a beer delivery of $100 or more if you are in the Philly area. Mark, as I let in, not much help this week from... uh, from playoff implications, uh, the Steelers could have helped us a lot, beating the Vikings. The baby Bengals almost came back. Uh, I almost bet on the Bengals again. They almost uh, resurrected from the gambling graveyard, but I didn't. You took the 49ers in our gambling pick segment. I know, but then like, <laughs> I, there, there's something about the orange and black. Yeah, you you love them, even still. You, you said you, you swore off of them, you put them in the graveyard. You still have a... You still have a soft spot for the baby Bengals. The orange and black is one of the best color schemes, I think, in the in the NFL. And then you have the Dallas Cowboys, our they hated helped. rivals, being the us. only ones who helped us this week. So thank you, Cowboys. People are uh, already second-guessing that maybe we took uh, the wrong player in the draft. I don't know if you saw all that. Uh, Devontae Smith or Micah Parsons uh, is a very – Big uh, conversation going on on Twitter. Why are people wrong, and why should we have taken Devontae Smith in hindsight? Well, I'm not going to do the whole we definitely should have taken Devontae Smith over Mika Parsons, even though I would have at the time. So I think that that holds more water than whatever we're going to say right now after 14 weeks of results. Um, This would be a different conversation if Devontae Smith did not look like he was going to be a stud. Now, I get that the stats haven't been there. There's been games like last one where he has two catches for 15 yards. But in the games that he's used, and when you look at the film, he is getting separation on every single play. So when we get a quarterback back there who is a bit more, um, you know, passing-oriented and a bit more – I'm, I'm trying to be nice in, in how I'm talking here. Uh, I, I you better watch yourself talking yeah, about my guy like that. I, I don't want to shit on Jalen Hurts. Uh, but I, I think if Devontae Smith was in a situation like Justin Jefferson was in in his rookie year or like Jamar Chase is in right now, those numbers would be a lot better and that conversation wouldn't even be happening. And let's just take a look at what happens when we target anyone but Devontae Smith or Dallas Goddard on the Eagles. I think that the passer rating numbers are like 112 when we target Devontae Smith, 107 when we target Dallas Goddard, and then somewhere in like the 40s or 50s when you target anyone else on the Eagles offense. If we didn't have Devontae Smith, we'd have zero wide receivers because right now we only have one. So I, I get the whole Mika Parsons is probably having a – not probably. Mika Parsons is having a better year. He – I'm. you cannot say at this point that he's going to be a definitive better player. I'm not at the same stage as everyone else where Mika Parsons is now just, you know, a top five defensive player. We're talking Aaron Donald, TJ Watt uh, territory for him. Not, not yet for me. We're, he's still in that like Shaq Barrett territory for me where it's like oh this this young guy's making a lot of plays causing a lot of havoc let's see if he can keep it up because we've seen 
guys come into the league and get a lot of sacks and then not really be able to repeat it um, going forward. So we'll see what going forward. I think offenses will scheme more against Mika Parsons. And I also think Dan Quinn um, is doing a great job with Parsons right now. Uh, so we'll see if that, if that's able to carry over um, as strong. Uh, you look at, you look at the sack per stat numbers it, or the sack per snap numbers. It, it's pretty crazy how little he is rushing and then how, much havoc he's creating when he's rushing. He should be rushing the passer on every play. Uh, he's pretty much useless otherwise. So uh, so that, that's what they should be doing with him, and they're doing a good job when they're doing that. Uh, but I don't know how anyone could watch the Eagles right now and be like, oh, you know what would be we'd be better with without Devonta Smith? Like, it's just not the case. We need him desperately because we have such a, a hole at wide receiver even with him. Would Micah Parsons have even been there at 12? Yeah. We have no idea because uh, right, the Dallas traded up to is it ten to get him. We traded, yeah, we traded up to, yeah, they traded with the Bears. Yeah, right? wait, no, the Bears yeah. traded with the Giants. The Giants, we traded with Dallas. Yeah, yeah, we traded with Dallas, so they moved and back. Dallas to took Mike. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, so most likely they wouldn't there because they wouldn't have obviously if, if they had any. First of all, inkling that the Eagles wanted Michael Parsons, they would have never traded with Michael, or they would have never traded with the Eagles. So, really, this is a conversation that kind of, in hindsight, doesn't even really matter. It's a Tatum Fultz situation. What? Yeah. Um, so, how do you feel? So, so the Eagles open up at uh, three and a half point favorites. Some of those lines are at four. four I'm guessing yeah. that is is building in uh, possibly Heineke missing next week. Uh, Terry McLaurin got banged up as well. Uh, and then, obviously, Montez Sweat is on the COVID-19 protocol list, and he's going to go right up to that deadline because he got his around, like, Wednesday or Thursday. I think he got put on that list, so he's, like, 10 days away. Um, obviously, no Chase Young. I still think that line is too high. And maybe because I don't really uh, ever see the Eagles as a, as a favorite this season. Um, but that scares me. I'll tell you why the line's so high. The Eagles have a point differential uh, greater than Washington by 104 points. I saw that. That was nuts. That is insane. The fact that the Eagles are plus 46 is insane to me, and the fact that Washington is minus 58 is insane to me. Those numbers are both very surprising in the opposite directions. Um, so, you, so that tells me that like this, that Washington is just they're they're playing above probably how good they really are and it's probably not sustainable yeah totally that, that, that's a totally good read and um the fact that they won two 17 to 15 games in six days um i think kind of backs that up so uh, i i think that washington um i was the one saying that i thought they'd make the playoffs and you know they did have a nice comeback yesterday they put themselves in a chance to win the game um against dallas but that game was definitely one of those games where you watch and you're like, man, maybe neither of these teams are that good. Like the fact that Dallas was able to get to that big of a lead and Washington was able to come back without McLaren in the second half, without Jace Young, without Montez Sweat, uh, partially without Taylor Heineke. Um, the fact that they were able to come back and make that game, Dak threw one of the worst picks of all time that I've ever seen. Um, you know, good for them for making a game, but it was not one of those games where it's like, man, that comeback by Washington really showed that they can hang with the big boys. And it really showed that they're going to be a playoff team. It didn't for me. I, I walked away thinking like, 
man, a lot of things had to go right for them to get back in that game. Um, I, I just, you know, it was one of those games where it's like, man, Washington was a fraud all along, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's not that surprising when you look at the guys that they're missing and when you look at the fact that I think Taylor Heineke was kind of dragging them to a bit more success than uh, they even deserve with some of those 75-plus completion percentage games and um, the efficiency and the the moving the ball on the ground. Um, Heineke did so much for them over the last couple of months. Um, but he's hurt, so who knows what he's going to be uh, or when he's going to be back or if he plays, if he's going to be able to – kind of do the same types of stuff he's he's able to do. Actually, what's the – I don't even know what the diagnosis is on him. Was it an ankle? Yeah, I, I I haven't heard anything about, like, next week. So you're, you bringing that up was, like, the first time I'd thought about Heineke maybe not playing next week. So is, 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 is Taylor Heineke is – he, is he mediocre? Is he average? Is he good? Because, you know, the Eagles – they feast on mediocre QBs. He's average, uh, I think. Um, but that might not be fair. Maybe he's just good. Maybe he's straight up good because it's kind of like what I was talking about. Um, and I used Heineke as an example when we talked about this on Friday in, in relation to Hertz. When you're Taylor Heineke and you're getting a chance at starting quarterback, you have to go so far and above expectation and you have to go so far and above what is being asked of you to prove yourself that you're good and that you are entrenched in the position. Um, so it's it, Washington could have themselves a bit of a, an, a similar situation to what we have with Jalen Hurts um, going into next year where it's like, oh, do we draft someone? Oh, do we stick with Heineke? Do we stick with Hurts? Um, I, I think that they're on similar levels um, when you watch Heineke and Hurts, but Heineke was pretty bad um, in the first half, at least yesterday. Um, so that, that was kind of one of those games where – we had some of these losses earlier on in the year when, when Washington was struggling early on where Heineke would have these games and he'd get to off to a two-for-eight start, and that would really put them in the hole. That's kind of what we saw yesterday. So um, there's obviously going to be things that peek through about Heineke that make you think, oh, maybe this guy can't be a starter in the NFL, or maybe this is why this guy came from Old Dominion undrafted. Uh, but that he also – I mean, the touchdown throw to Cam Sims – um, that Sims was able to get two feet in on and Heineke scrambled on the outside and just let it fly. That's one of the best throws you'll see all year. I mean, that like it's hard to even put any throw in the league that we've seen this year up with that throw, rolling to its opposite side and then just letting it fly 50, 60 yards uh, for a touchdown in the perfect spot down the field. That was an incredible throw. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, again, I don't know if that throw or that type of play is sustainable. Uh, they were down 24 nothing and, get a 60 yard touchdown on a hail Mary basically. Um, and that kind of puts them back in the game at 24 to eight. They get the two point conversion. Um, it's hard to say what Heineke is. It's kind of like the hurts thing. Like if you're a Washington fan, you probably wish he was better or worse. How, how much did you love Cowboys flying in the heated benches? Oh, that's so great. That reminds me of uh, when Notre Dame wouldn't let Purdue bring their drum. Uh, <laughs> it's like the opposite. It's like the inverse, I guess, because, uh, Washington let Dallas just bring in whatever they wanted. But like, imagine like Dallas asked to bring in a whole bench, like a literal entire bench with their logo and shit on it. And Purdue went to Notre Dame and they were like, Hey, can, can we just, can we just bring our drum? Can we bring like, we're just want to bring our drum. And they're like, Nope, sorry. No can do's baby doll. 
It was a it was awesome move because like they did actually get like intel from the Seahawks that like their benches were going in and out, in and out, and division rivalry. Why would you not mess with the benches for the Heat? That'd be amazing. I didn't hear that. Mm -hmm. All's fair in love and division rivalries. I didn't hear that the Seahawks the Seahawks said it was going off and on. That's pretty genius. That's pretty genius. I mean, it was. It also was like 47 degrees, Dallas. It wasn't like it was like a, a 35 degree, 30 in the 20s game. It was a 47 degree game at one o'clock. Okay. There was no shadows anywhere. Um, yeah. Washington next week. They, I, I'm sure the fans just have to be happy that they're not going to get crapped on in the stadium uh, for the first time in like Ugh. ever. There was leaking water again yesterday. I mean, burn FedEx field to the ground. Uh, it's every week. And I, I have some Washington fans that I follow. Um, from a couple, like a lot of producers at Barstool are Washington fans. It's kind of weird. Uh, and, and two of them that I follow that I met at Barstool, they were like both incessantly tweeting about how horrible the place FedEx Field was and how like if you pay money to be there, you're the idiot and you're part of the problem. Uh, and how they like need to build a new stadium and they, like went to check their profiles and they're like both Washington fans. Like that's like after another tweet about like Washington and the game. It's just like funny to see people of like. Of the Washington fan base being like, fuck this stadium. We hate FedEx Field. Like, I just, I was like, whoa, like, I can't imagine that in, in, in Philly. I mean, imagine having to go to the link and worrying like that a, a sewage pipe is going to burst above you while you're like, at the club level. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's not a fear that I'm familiar with uh, yeah. at, at the link, even though I think the link is a dump. Do you? Yeah, not a huge I mean, fan of it. I guess it's like, so this is the thing, like, I went to MetLife and and MetLife kind of reminded me a lot of the link, you know, concrete, stone, circular, you know, not really warming, not really inviting, but really, I don't know what, I guess if you go out to like SoFi or, or I'm sure you go out to, uh, to, to the Raiders stadium. Yeah. They're probably amazing. Like, I feel like, I feel like more stadiums border on the link and border on like MetLife and FedEx field than they do on, you know, the, the top notch warm and maybe some inviting stadiums yeah you're probably right in football um for sure i i guess that there's like some college stadiums that you look at and you're like oh that's so cool and then there's obviously the ones that you mentioned um you know la vegas dallas um a, a couple other places i think metlife's a dump too uh so i guess i just don't like football stadiums i guess that's what like we're coming down to uh, i i thought it was I, I think the link is just so blah like I think it's I think it's also next to like a modern miracle in Citizens in Citizens Bank Park. I think that's like I'd put up CBP with any stadium of any kind anywhere. So uh, maybe it's just uh, it's bad in comparison for me. Wells Fargo Center's like as blah as it gets to. Oh uh, yeah, Wells Fargo Center is a boring stadium. Boring uh, stadium. They are like putting so much lipstick on a pig by like continuing to renovate that stadium over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna change the linoleum floors. That's really what that's really what their like big thing was. We're gonna change the linoleum floors. We're gonna update it to be more modern in uh in uh in the food and stuff. What if um so I went to Atlanta like a couple years ago for the Peach Bowl, and they obviously have a dome. Would you ever want the Eagles to have a dome? And now the yeah. reason why I like the dome is because it's so loud in there that I think. Eagles fans could burst a QB's eardrum. Yeah, no, I think 100%. And I also, like, the whole, oh, 
you got to come to Philly in the elements. If there's <laughs> snow, you're going to be messed up. It's like, I don't give a shit about that. I would go to games in December if, if we were in a dome. I'm like, I, I want to go next weekend. I've actually like thought about it. I haven't been to a game since 2016 uh, or 2015, 2015. Um, I, I thought about it for next weekend. I want to go. And I'm like, do I really want to sit in 35 degree weather for five hours and tailgate a little bit and do whatever you do after? Uh, it's just like, man, that's it's a lot to commit to uh, in terms of being cold. If it's a football, dome. Football is one of the sports that is better on TV, I think. Oh, 100%. I've person. always said that. Yeah. Basketball, I would, I'd rather go in person. Hockey, I'd rather go in person. Uh, baseball is baseball. So let's just say I would, I would go in person. I guess it's better because it's more engaging and whatnot. But yeah, f- football is just, you know, I like the yellow line. I like to have the yellow line at my disposal. For sure. No, for sure. Uh, football, I, I pretty much outright refuse to go to football games. The last football game I've been to was when the Cardinals beat us by a billion uh, and Sam Bradford played a pathetic game. Going around the league a little bit more, um, NFC East roundup, we really don't have to get into about the Giants game. Justin Herbert is an amazing, amazing football player. Uh, I don't know if you saw those two touchdown throws. Holy shit. Like when you, so like when you see like your team have a quarterback that like is still trying to figure it out and then you see a team that has like a Justin Herbert, you're like, wow, I I, I really like that. I, 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 I wish I had that on my team. It's like watching like, it's like, you know, you got a nice little Audi R8 but then you see the guy with the Maserati next to you at a stoplight, and you're like, okay, I like my Audi, but that Maserati is beautiful. We thought we had it in Carson Wentz. But, um, yeah, that's the sad part. Uh, but I will say, I think you're talking about the wrong quarterback with the last name starting with H. Ooh. I mean, can we talk about Tyler Huntley, or can we talk about Tyler Huntley? The cover king. Tyler Huntley might be my favorite quarterback in football now. That was – the most unbelievable cover of all time. For anyone who doesn't know, I had my game of the year yesterday in football. Ravens plus three. I had been four and one on seven plus unit plays in 2021 going into that. But this was my biggest bet that I had made all season. And they go down 10 nothing right away. Lamar Jackson gets hurt right away. And I declared the, the game of the year dead. Um, you know, I, I even looked into cash out options for like very little money at that point. Uh, didn't do it. Let it ride. And Tyler Huntley brings them. I don't even know what the score ended up. Was it 24 to three? I think it was 24 to three. And and then they for Ravens Browns. I think it was 24 three at one point. Yeah, it was 24 six at one point. Then it was 24 nine in the third quarter. Browns didn't score in the whole second half. Yeah, 24 six, then 24 nine. And the Ravens end up coming back and covering plus three by losing by two. They almost actually like. They made me a little scared because they got the they they kicked the or they they kicked the extra point to go down two after a touchdown with like a minute or so left, and then they get the onside kick, and then at that point I'm like, man, if they throw a pick six or if there's like a scoop and score here, or like a lateral play or something like that, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, that didn't happen. They just go three and out or whatever they did, um, and they ended up giving the ball right back to Cleveland. Would you have let Justin Tucker try a 72 yard field goal? Is that how far they were? 72? That's what, how far it was. I, and I saw that getting tossed around a little bit. I saw Bobby Wankel talking about it a little bit on, on Twitter. Did he want I them think, to? I think you have to at least, like, think about it. You have to think, like, call time out and think about it. Yeah, you have to think about it. You definitely have to think about it. I think if it was 67, you'd do it. 
Okay. I don't I don't know why that's the number in my head, but sixty seven yards, I have like full how far would that be? That's from the forty nine. Uh from the forty two, right? I always do a bad job at this. Because it's fifteen plus the number. I thought, oh, I, I I always get this messed up. But I whatever sixty seven, wherever that would be on the field, I think forty eight. Your the opponent's uh your own forty eight it would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you have to you have to take a shot at 60, 60 maybe even 68. 72. I don't know. Once you hear 70, that, that starts getting like, oh, I don't even know if Tucker can do that. But you think he's probably made a 70 yarder in practice, right? Yeah. Like I don't I, you you always see those those videos on on Twitter where it's like this guy's a 2023 commit to Alabama hitting 75 yarders in some podunk town and in, in on a uh, on on like a football field in the middle of nowhere. It's like, okay, why can't you do that in a real game? Did you see the Jets brought in Eddie Pinheiro, um, the the new kicker after their abomination last week against the Eagles? And he kicked a field goal, like a 33-yarder, and it was one of the most pathetic field Like, it was like so low. Like, it wouldn't, it barely would have made it over my laptop right here. It was so low, but it like went in like right over the crossbar like it looks like what what it looks like when you like a bunch of high school kids go out there during gym class and they're like kicking kicking the football and it's like oh he billy made one like barely went in the whole stadium like erupted for this eddie pinheiro field goal after last week for the jets it's like it's so funny to watch fan bases that are so beaten down by kicking dilemmas like uh, it's like oh my god a 33 yarder bang like it was funny that is those alex alex henry and cody parkey years were some of the worst years of my life. I mean, you don't know how much how important a kicker is until you don't have a kicker anymore. Yeah. No, when we were playing the Jets, it's like that's that's the type of game that really makes you appreciate Jake Elliott and his ironclad contract. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here and go over to Mike uh Lieberthal, uh give me your top three teams in the NFL with Super Bowl chances. I'll give you four. Oh, um, come on. No, because there's. I think there's a clear four, and I think I was actually going to tweet this out. It's funny you said this. I think there's only four teams that have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. Tonight could change that. Both. The, I'm looking at both of Arizona and LA kind of as frauds. Um, but if whoever wins that game, I'm probably going to have to admit that they are real and have a chance to make a run, especially if it's Arizona. I am but, not ready to to declare Arizona a Super Bowl like possibility. Me too. I do I'm not, not believe in Cliff Kingsbury. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And it's the same thing with Dallas and Mike McCarthy for me. Like, I'm not there. So for me, it's Green Bay and Tampa Bay in the NFC. And then it's New England and Kansas City in the AFC. I think that those four teams are so far and above the rest of the league right now in terms of chances to go to the Super Bowl. And I will just say uh, before we before we get out of here that me and Kyle came on the pod on Friday talking about how much we hated the board. Uh, we told you, like, you know – be careful with these picks, but we both went three and zero. That's how it goes on the skydiving picks. I mean, that's how that's that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Um, that's how the cookie. Calls. You don't believe in the Titans? No, no shot. With Derrick no Henry shot. coming back, no shot. Okay, I'm out on the Titans, and I will just say I don't want to do a whole Sixer segment, um, but I will just say that the win against Golden State on Saturday was as good as the Utah Jazz loss on Thursday was embarrassing and bad. So take everything 
negative that I said on Friday about the Sixers. I think we talked about the Sixers on Friday's pod. I forget. I think we did. I thought that I was like a bunch of frauds. They stink. Lazy. Whatever. I yelled about the Sixers, I thought. If I didn't, then good. You didn't hear it because they're back. Contenders. Championships back on. Playing the parade. Bring CJ McCollum and it's collapsed along the Philadelphia. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, who knows with this team? But I, I do just think that that Golden State game is one of those games where you watch and it's like, oh, when you have Joel Embiid, there's a floor. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's a high floor because you watched. He didn't play that well offensively, but I actually thought, and I, I have to go back and watch like the the condensed game. I thought Joel defensively, like that might have been the best game I've ever seen him play defensively. Like I don't know even how many blocks or steals he had or like what the numbers say about the game, but it just felt like he was everywhere defensively and he was shutting down paths to the lane. He was helped. He was doing some help defense on guys. Like I honestly felt like, and Draymond was playing great defense on the other end. I honestly felt like Joel was like kind of trying to do what Draymond was doing defensively because there was a possession where Matisse wasn't being guarded by the Warriors. Like he was in the corner and Draymond was just playing free safety. Draymond was playing the middle of the field or the middle of the court, I should say. And then when they would get the ball to Matisse all the way to the corner, like a couple swing passes, Draymond would somehow get all the way over to cover him, and then they'd pass him, and he'd go back to the paint. And it's like Joel was kind of like doing the same thing. Like Joel was playing a little free safety and like doing so much defensively for us. And that just shows like why he's such a superstar because when he's three for ten um, in the fourth quarter, and I, he still ended up with a lot of points, and he had big buckets when it counted at the end. Um, but when he has those issues offensively, he is just such a problem and such a monster defensively, especially against a team like Golden State that doesn't have bigs. Um, Joel is just such a superstar. Yeah. Um, it's maybe we gave up on the Sixers a little too early. The same team that started eight and two and then went through all that COVID shit and and everything there. So yeah, I'm excited about the Sixers, man. I'm 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 reinvigorated until they lose to the Grizzlies. And I'm like, hey, season doesn't start till <laughs> Christmas. All right. Everyone knows the NBA doesn't start till Christmas. That's the rules. Uh, but yeah, the rules. Uh, they should win tonight. It's a shame. Like the Sixers are minus two and a half tonight. If anyone's listening to this um, on Monday, um, they're playing the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies should be without Ja and Jaron um, in this game. Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson. Um, the Grizzlies did just win without them. I think back to back. But the Sixers are only minus two and a half tonight. And if the Sixers weren't the worst favorite of all time to bet on from a gambling perspective. I'd be betting on them really hard because I think that line's disrespectful. But maybe Vegas is finally catching on where they're like, this team just refuses to win by more than three points. So uh, maybe you throw Sixers money line in a parlay. I think they win tonight. All right. Let's get over to Mike Lieberthal. All right. We are here with Philly's legend for the second time on this podcast, Mike Lieberthal. Former catcher, when he made his debut, it was the last time we had a lockout. So I want to bring you on, talk about a little bit, a little bit of a lockout back in '94. You know, it was all about the hard salary cap. You guys actually won that lockout in the grand scheme of things. Nowadays, right. 2021, the lockout, the players want to become free agents quicker. They want to get paid while they're younger. Teams, they don't like how they're manipulating the service time, all that stuff. Leaving capable free agents, people are tanking as well. I. uh I really want to talk about with you is you get caught up in, in June of 94, fresh off of a World Series run by the Phillies of the year before. You're 24 games in, and then like the season just stops. Like, What did you do during the lockout? Right. That was weird. I mean, that was like when I first got called up. So I was yeah. you know, 22 years old, and you're kind of halfway through the season. And I mean, there was a lot of negotiations 
Donald Fear was probably in our clubhouse at least 30 times, it seemed like, running up to the lockout. So we kind of knew what to expect. And, um, you know, as big, that salary cap was huge on salaries and what the owners wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad that we're not in a NBA kind of salary cap. That, that would have been tough for the last, like, 20 years. Really, really would have brought salaries down. And now it's kind of different because you see all these players that are they're really getting paid a lot of money, like the big players on every team. There's probably like five or ten players that are – you see those big contracts and everybody's like, whoa, you know, like this guy's getting over $100 million and over $300 million. But And then all the rest of the players, you know, it's six years to free agency and they're saying just, you know, for the majority, they're not getting paid equivalent to how the money's been going up for the last 10, 15 years. And really, the salaries are down. So if you really look at a team and you have young players that aren't, you know, they go to arbitration after three years, but six years free agency, they're really keeping the salaries down. Um, and it has to do with also players really coming up. You know, they're just on the brink of making the major leagues and they're kind of keeping them down in AAA maybe for another year. So they have another year mm -hmm. of not getting service time. Because really, uh, you know, the superstar players, when they're free agents, yeah, they get paid. But there's a lot of players that really are not making as much money as they you know, really should be. And, you know, I mean, the owners, no one knows how much money they're really making. Yeah. Right? Every team is different. Obviously, the Yankees, Dodgers, Boston, the big teams are probably making money. There's a lot of teams that are not. But these owners, I mean, are they in it to really make money or are they in it to just own a baseball team. I mean, uh, uh, probably a lot of them are just happy to be owning a baseball team. And I mean, you see what these teams are going for and these owners are like in line to try to get a team. So yeah, I don't you're, think, you know, you're fans exactly are really right. Because it's like they just, they just went through COVID and they all bish and complained about how they were, you know, the, how much money they lost now. And then they're going to go through this lockout. And, you know, I don't foresee the lockout going into the season. But if it does right. go into the season, they're going to lose even more money. So that wouldn't make sense from a, a business decision. So you're exactly right. right, I think, where you say, like, how much are these guys really losing at the end of the day? Right. And I mean, they were trying to say that they're locking out now early because it's the only play they really have because it's just where they can maybe get the association to the negotiating table and maybe come down on their arguments. But um, I really, I mean, it's hard to see it really serious yet because it's not spring training. Games are not lost yet. I mean, until the season is pretty close, that's when it'll probably get serious and more real. As a player who went through it, what what is it like from a player's perspective to go through a lockout? Like like what's your day to day like? Were you still in Philly because you were so young? You're like 24 games in. I mean, you weren't really familiar with it, or did you go back to California? Like, kind of what was it like for you going through it? Yeah, it was kind of like where I kind of stayed. I think in Philly for a little bit, but then I went back to California, and you knew the season was over, and it was kind of get ready for next year. Um, it, it just felt like a different situation than it is now. Um, a lot of players are obviously in the offseason doing their normal routine. And until their routine is changed, until their salary, their paychecks are different, then, I mean, it was big. Like, Lenny Dykes was making a lot of money back then. And, I mean, there was players that were upset because they were losing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And until players are really losing that money, I think it's just, um, you know, I don't think guys are really too worried about it yet.
Yeah, I feel like when you were 22, you were probably just a, you were a kid who was just like, I just want to play ball. Like, yeah, get me back out just, there as fast as possible. Exactly, because you're trying to make a difference. You're trying to prove a name for yourself. It's different when you're young and you're not really making that money. You're just trying to prove yourself at that level. So, I mean, it's tough for that player too, as well. Did you ever like talk to the like? Did any of like the the maybe the veterans or maybe your agent your agent Arn uh, sit you down and be like, hey, you know, I know you want to get out there and play, but like this is good for your like future. Like, this oh, is we have like phone calls and negotiations with you know the players' association and fifty players, hundred players online, and guys talking, and you know it was it was kind of like a week to week thing. It was pretty serious. Um, so you kind of knew what was going on, and. I don't know. I feel like now I just don't know, you know, just how serious really the players are worried. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Why don't you think they're as worried? Just because there's time. There's still, you know, okay. a few months before the season starts. There's, you know, there's still three months before the season starts and still there's spring training. And um, I just don't know, you know, how tough the owners are going to be as far as um, – just negotiation, negotiating off their offers. And I just don't, you know, I just don't know how serious everybody is. It's hard to you're tell. right. Because like when, like I said, in 1994, like your, your biggest, the owner's biggest proposal was we want a salary cap. Right. And now it's kind of like a lot of, for lack of a better word, imaginary things that the owners want. Like you can't right. really prove that people are tanking. I guess you kind of can, but then you can also be like, well, I mean, there's some free agents that should be in, some older free agents that should right. be in the MLB. And they're like, yeah, I guess you could say they could and everything. And then, you know, I guess you can manipulate service time, but you can't really prove someone manipulating service time. So it's a lot of like imaginary kind of variables that are going into this negotiation process. Right, um, and the game's kind of changing too with younger players. Teams want more younger players where they don't have to pay them as much, and you know they're relying on their minor league system to you know help them. And yeah. it's different for every team. Obviously, the Pirates are totally different than the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers can deal with having a lot of veteran players and big money players on the team, and the Pirates can't. So, how big was replacement players back in '94? I know that was a huge issue. The no, it's crazy. I know. The, I'm, I think the Phillies, I'm waiting on my call for, you know, just to be a replacement <laughs> player. You know, Would you be a scab are, right now? Catchers are, like, going down on one knee now catching. I feel like I can do that. You know, just make sure that I don't need to get any bump plays or pop-ups. and just get Do you my still have some uh, do you still have some pop? I mean, we will put you at DH when the NL puts the DH in. I mean, with a golf ball, I mean, I haven't had uh, live batting practice in about 10 years. <laughs> Would you be a locker room guy? Locker room, yeah, I'd be allowed to be like Albert Pools. I mean, I think yeah. I think I could get down the line in about seven seconds, right? That's what yeah. he's doing. You'd be the wily veteran in the locker room, be like, guys, this is uh, how we did it. I mean, that's funny. You I mean, came I've up had in players that I play golf with that have had calls from teams to be a hitting coach for who knows, <laughs> like if the lockout keeps going, and obviously coaches can't coach except for you know guys are not under contract. So it's kind of weird where teams are calling ex-players are like hey do you think you can coach if you know if this lockout goes any further or it's kind of crazy hmm. do, do you have like any interest in getting coaching any broadcast i mean you made a good amount of money in your in your playing career that I, you're you'll, you'll be okay but like yeah. you know, do you ever get that itch to like you know maybe 18 i don't want to play today i want to go break down you know raise phillies For sure I, I mean i love to talk about hitting and i love uh 
you know, I'd love to coach, but I have three boys that are eight, 11 and 13. So until they're like through their whole little league and basketball and soccer leagues, and I'm just enjoying them right now until they're like really in high school or out of high school. And then I can probably think about it. Do you coach them? Um, well, there's three, three different ages, so it's tough and little league baseball coaches. I try not try to stay away from, so it's better to be in the stands and then just coach your kids off the field. And then that way you can kind of see everyone play too. You kind of jump around. So it's, it's way better that way. I try not to get too involved in coaching, especially soccer or basketball. I know nothing about. Do the coaches ever come to you like during baseball? He's like, Hey, Tommy's dropping his arm a little bit. Do you mind as well? Can you, uh, yeah, you know. there's coaches that, yeah, definitely here and there for sure. Okay. But, I, but I feel like the one thing about Little League coaches is where like people hate being a Little League coach because the parents are always in the coach's ear. But like, right. could you just show them your like baseball stat reference page and be like, hey, listen, I uh, I have 17 years in the, in the league. That Right, right. It's always better not to be the head coach. You don't want to be in charge <laughs> of emails and parents, you know, just be the side coach that no one bothers. So when you came up in in 94, I mean, they're fresh off a World Series run, one of the closest teams ever. Um, you're replacing kind of because he was on the injury list, Darren Dalton, who's like one of the biggest Philly legends of all time. You and the preacher, Todd Pratt. Um, I just what was it like walking into the clubhouse? I, I just I picture it as like uh dykstra has like a bomb of tobacco like this far in his in his lip just be like oh, what's your what's your thing boy or like kurt Schilling's in the corner reading a book or or you got wild thing wondering how he's gonna throw 15 pitches before he gets a save like what was right. that what was walking into that like i mean that was i mean that whole team was just i mean i was in spring training from probably 92 because, uh, you know, even though I was playing in the minor leagues, I was still going to spring training, being around guys like John Crook, Mariano Duncan, who I used to mm-hmm. watch as a shortstop for the Dodgers for years. Um, obviously, Lenny Dykstra, Darren Dalton. I mean, Pete Incavilla, Dave Hollins. It was just on and on of veteran players that I pretty much just shut my mouth and uh, really didn't say anything. <laughs> now it's totally different. It's like players come up now and they're like, you know, it's like they're all on TikTok and like uh, Instagram. <laughs> Do you imagine like, Dykstra on TikTok very, back in the day? Way more relaxed now. These players yeah. come up and they have like no pressure. It's so crazy from yeah from '93 to, to now. But that was a great team. It was a great experience to be around those guys, and they were they were all very helpful for younger players too. Really? Uh, who who was your guy? Uh. Well, Dalton's always great. He's always very helpful. Crook was always very helpful. Um, you know, just watching the guys really play and how they went about their business was something that was pretty special and how hard they worked. And, you know, you just kind of watch them and just try to learn from what they're doing. Did you have any beers in the training room? I know that was a big thing during the 93 season. Oh, God, that was big. When I was now you can't even have beers in the locker room anymore. There's like really? no alcohol, no Twinkies. No. <laughs> now it's Damn. all like healthy food and you have to eat this. And yeah, it's totally different. I mean, so we like, have all kinds of, I mean, 19 different dips, 19 different, you know, <laughs> cigarettes. Whatever. It was, just, uh, just lay down like a vending machine type area or lay down on a table, yeah, like take whatever like, you want. Take whatever you want and, you know. But not anymore. I can't have no dip. No, you know, all healthy chefs. Yeah. 
But the catered meals probably would have been awesome back in the day if you would have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have like what they have now. It's just very. The weight rooms are state of the art. The I mean, everybody has trainers. Everybody has massage therapists. It is like, yeah, it's pretty nice right now. But yeah, you should come back as a hitting coach. You can get all that stuff. I know. I'd be a lot skinnier and probably healthier. I don't. (laughs) What was uh. What was your favorite team? Like, what year, if you can remember off the top of your head, that you remember playing Phillies, Dodgers, whoever, during your career? Always the Dodgers, because I grew up as a Dodgers No, sorry, what was the favorite team that you played on, my fault? Um, Like, played against? No, played on. Like, the 90, like, like the 93 team was a very close team. Yeah, Mm -hmm. what team? I was pretty close, like, in 97 with, like, Rico Bronia, um, Scott Rowland, Desi Relaford, um Kevin Stalker was pretty but he kind of left and went to Tampa Bay. There was um we had a pretty good core. Kurt Schilling. We just didn't have besides Kurt, we uh Robert Person, I think mm-hmm. was our number two starter. Um remember that four know, home run but, game? By person? Maybe maybe remember person. Did yeah, he have like he a grand like three slam? Home runs, right? Yeah, three home yeah, like runs. Yeah, like green a grand slam and like a two run and then a solo I shot. Know. That was crazy. <laughs> But that was your team? Yeah, so funny. Yeah, kind of guys like that. And, yeah. Um, you know, I went through a lot of managers, too, from Fergosi to Francona to Larry Boa to um, then Charlie. I mean, it was, you know, it was always a changing door for a manager. Was that tough? Like, trying to get, like, okay, maybe Boa's more of a uh, of a tough uh no nonsense coach, and then you have Frank Kona, right. who's more of a player's coach and whatnot. Was that tough? Like going right. through that? It's, it's like, a, like the different, like spring training. You know, getting to know your manager, getting to know yeah. different coaches. It was, you know, I mean, that doesn't take that long though. It takes you mm-hmm. know, spring training, and you're kind of used to everyone's personality. But I enjoyed everyone I played for. I loved, you know, all the managers are, you know, pretty cool guys. Yeah. How um. How important to a team was it like having that kind of core? Like I, I keep referencing the 93 team because everyone just was like, they were just so close. They were picked to finish last in the NL East and they end up going to the World right. Series. Like like obviously talent right now is is huge. Like we have Bryce Harper, we have JT, we got Reese Hoskins and whatnot. But how also you could you could question right now in the Phillies that they don't really have that core and you question this throughout the whole MLB, guys that like really enjoy each other that go out or that hang out together, like outside of, outside of, uh, the games and whatnot. Like how important is that core and that you like your team compared to, uh, the talent to become, you know, a world series contender. Right. Usually it's tough in these days because players change all the time. I mean, you're looking at Carlos Correa, like he was with the Astros for so long and he probably will be on a different team. You never know, but you look at Corey Seager, you know, obviously he was with the Dodgers for so long and now he's somewhere else. So, I think back in the day, it was like you saw players stick to a team for a lot longer than they are now. Um, but it is nice when you do have like a great core, like the Astros had, like they had Altuve and Bregman and Correa and Gurriel. And they just had like a, you know, five or six guys that were there for like four or five years that, and they were good players and they had the pitching and they brought, you know, the World Series title a couple of times over those years. So it's, it's tough to get to that point, um, like I said, because players change teams a lot. Um, but to have like four or five, 
really good players that you know are going to be there for four or five years. That's pretty special as a fan to come back every year and watch these guys play. It's pretty sure. special to watch JT play. You know, it's great that he's going to be there for a while. And, um, and Reese, you know, it's great to watch him. You know, to watch, like, great players, um, you know, they're going to be there for a while. It's pretty awesome for a fan. Um, but, you know, you need the whole package too, right? You need, like, mm. you need the pitching. You need the relief. You need, you know, the Phillies too. They need, like, some players. You know, they're not two or three players away. I feel like they're, like, four or five players away. They need, like, help from their minor league system to to really make that difference. Did Tomei... Uh, the, the, I was watching the Barkan um, Tome in uh, introductory press conference like a couple of months ago, and it was just really cool to see because uh, that was the big like that was the big free agency signing of my childhood. Did he inject mm-hmm. some excitement into into the team coming into like spring training and whatnot? Yeah, Tome was great. He was just like, you know, between him and Charlie Manuel, they kind of have similar personalities. You know, they're just that that gentle Ben, yeah. that big guy that you're not going to mess with, but yeah. he, Country. Know, he's always. Bring- he always brings in a great attitude every day. He's happy and you never see a guy really get too high or too down. And, you know, someone that has that kind of personality really, you know, it, it helps the other guys on the team. So Tommy was really one of my favorite players I, I played with. And, um, you know, you just hope to get a core like that, that really enjoy the game and work hard and, and are good, obviously. So, yeah. So it's been 11 long long years since the Phillies have made the playoffs. You know, people are getting restless in the city. I know you're out there in California. Right. I don't know if you I don't know if you read the headlines. It's all, in Philly. <laughs> all the time. Obviously. So you understand. No matter what yeah. sport. Right. <laughs> you understand. What do you think about the Phillies future and how much can you say so you're still invited back to alumni weekend in August? <laughs> well, like I said, it's you need that young group, some core players, some good draft picks. You know, you need a good minor league system. So you, you always, as an owner, you need those players to come up and help. Obviously, we have, you know, the third baseman that came up. He, he kind of struggled, but he's mm-hmm. supposed to be, hopefully he'll be there for the next five, six, who knows, ten years. But he looked like a really good player. But you just need that. And then you can add from the free agent market and really create something special. So until the Phillies can really get some, you know, talent that can come through the minor leagues and really help um, the team, then I think by adding the players that maybe are available, maybe not this year, you may not get what you want, but the next year there'll be a new free agent crop. But you can't add five free agents and hope everything just works out well. You always need a few young players to come up and really help. And so hopefully the Phillies can can get that and it can make a difference so when free agents come in like what's the importance of like meshing them into the team like how do you mesh them into the team going back to like Tomei or any other free agents you guys signed during your career like how did you guys kind of like ingratiate Tomei or was he like he was just easy to ingratiate I'm sure you play with guys who are like I can't believe we signed this guy he's he's an asshole for lack of a better word no everybody knew about Tomei coming in how great of a guy he was a big pickup you know like the free agents that are out there I'm sure Bryce Harper those guys that are free agents out there that he's friends with and he presses the ownership to maybe sign. Um, you kind of know kind of the guys that are coming in the good guys that you want. And uh, I would say for the most part, everyone's, you know, it's pretty much a good guy. I mean, you're not really going to get, a you know, a jerk. Oh, yeah, let's take this guy. Even though he had great stats, we'll take him in. You know, I mean, it's just uh, doesn't happen. You just 
it's unfortunate, you know, not every year has the best free agent crop and you're like, oh, this is who I have to pick from. And some years are just, there's just not that many guys out there that you would really want. So it's, um, like I said, that's why you need, you know, at least a few guys in the minor leagues that really can make a difference. And, um, you know, hopefully we do. Mike Lieberthal, future farm director. You yeah. seem to be a big minor league guy right now. You you seem to know where you want to, you want to build from the ground up. I like that. We right. haven't had oh, yeah. many uh, minor leaguers that have worked out here in Philadelphia in the, since uh, Rollins, Utley, right. and Howard retired. Right. We need some solid signings and some development and really like uh, hopefully cross your fingers and we can get some guys up pretty soon. Cross them tight. Um, why didn't you ever test free agency? I mean, we, we always talk about how tough it is to play in Philadelphia, but – you spent right. most of your career here. Um, I don't know. Going back, it was just, uh, you know, I like to thank Eddie Wade for giving me a great contract at the time. And uh, it's nice to be in one place that you're comfortable. You're comfortable with your teammates. Okay. You're comfortable with your manager. You're, you know, I felt comfortable in Philly. Uh, you know, you always want to win. It's totally different when you win. But, I mean... I don't know. It's kind of a different situation going through the veteran stadium of years, the losing years, not many fans, and then to the new stadium. Um, obviously now in that ballpark, I mean, it's, you want to win there. And after the Phillies won, it just, you know, I'm sure the fans are just, you know, saliving, just trying to get back into that playoff picture, into the World Series picture, what they had. I mean, the group that they had between Utley and Howard and Ruiz and just they had such a special core and such a special bond. And I think that's what the Phillies are really trying to see themselves in the future. Which like better, Veterans Stadium or uh, or uh, Citizen Bank? Mm, well, as a, I love playing on AstroTurf. Did you really? So many, yeah. Definitely higher averages on AstroTurf. A lot of ground balls get through uh, okay. the field. Little bad hops. Veterans, veterans, yeah, it's just, I mean, you can just pull the ball a little more, <laughs> get a lot more hits. I wasn't a very fast runner, so that was pretty nice. Um, obviously, the ballpark's smaller for okay. citizens, so it's a better home run ballpark. But I would say more hits got into the outfield at yeah. Veterans Stadium because it's just a bigger outfield. Um, I played seven more years, man. We would look at yeah. potentially Hall of Fame ballot for Mike Lieberthal. <laughs> Clubhouse a little nicer at Citizens <laughs> Bank Park. <laughs> he did. You know, you got you got a little bit more you amenities know, and stuff. You got at all the Park. rats and you know. Yeah. yeah. What was it like, man? What was it like playing in the vet? Like, were, you, were rats just sometimes like rat would go by? It's like ah, you know, that's just that's just the Philly fanatics. Uh, yeah, job. you just knew it was an old stadium. There were so many old stadiums back then. I mean, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Montreal. It seemed like everywhere we went, and it was like an astroturf old stadium. So it was just kind of what you were used to. So. Yeah, I mean, now everything's just amazing and new stadiums, new ballparks everywhere. Dude, you played so balls to the wall when you played. I was watching some highlights of you going over, like, uh, into the dugouts for foul balls. I think you hit your head one time, and you definitely might have been a little bit concussed, but back then, concussions right. weren't really a thing. I think someone ran you over, too. And you just got up and flipped the ball to the ump. Like, why? Like, how the hell did you play so far? Like, I just had yeah. to play that way. Because you're a California guy. You're so, like, when I talk to you, right. you're so like, easy going and everything. Right. And then Dykstra was also a California guy, too. And that's just crazy. I think it me. was the guys that I grew up playing, too. Like, you know, yeah. the 93 team and kind of like the old veteran style play and just 
playing in Philly, and it was just the way he played. Did you ever catch the Vicente Padilla Ephus? No, no, but no, his fastball was what I remember. He would throw yeah. like 102 pitches in the game. You'd have 97 fastballs, and the pitching coach would be like, Leave, can you guys just mix in a couple of curveballs or rig? I mean, can he work? And he's like, I mean, he struck out 10 guys. No one can hit his fastball. But it's just, just number one. That's all he wants to throw. And occasionally he would just like flip like a sidearm, like Ephus. That was so bad. <laughs> he had but the effective. Worst, yeah, the worst curveball. Occasionally he would just flip it up there. Yeah. How did you call a game? Like, I'm sure we're some guys like with, like you said, Vicente, like it's like, we're, we're going fastball. And if he weighs me off and goes fastball, screw it. Yeah. Vicente didn't care. He was just, yeah. Blow you away. And he'd try to hit somebody if he didn't like him. But yeah. well, I mean, everybody's different, obviously. I mean, Randy Wolf was totally different. I mean, he had that big curveball and that high cut fastball. So he was totally different to call a game than obviously Padilla and, Schilling had his split finger, and he had his great control with his fastball, so he was easy to catch, but a big strikeouts, you know, with Kurt. And, um, you know, like I said, everyone's kind of different. But mm-hmm. Who's your favorite guy to catch? Uh, Schilling, for sure, because of all the strikeouts, and yeah. he was easy to catch, and you're usually going to get the win that day. <laughs> True. Yeah, I guess you're right. What right. do you think about him winning off the ballot? Yeah, I haven't really looked at it. I hope he gets in. Uh, I do so. But yeah, I mean, if he deserves it, he deserves it. Why, you know, why keep him out for his political beliefs? I mean, yeah. just kind of. I mean, I, I what do you think about the whole steroids? Like, like people, people seem like they're coming around a little bit on bonds, but then you see a couple of the writers not coming around on bonds. Some guys refuse to uh, vote for guys with steroids. Right. What are you, where are you all that? Do you think like I think Bonds deserves it in the Hall of Fame just because of his his before steroids years were, yeah. were just as good. But where you fall on kind of the steroids guys in the Hall? Uh, he's got to get in. Bonds has got to get in. But the only thing is, like the reason why he wouldn't is because they know if he gets in, then a lot of other guys got to get in. How does Sosa not yeah. get in? How does you know guys like Palmero and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of guys that would get in if I think if Bonds got in and. That would be the only reason why they're probably keeping him out because they don't want a lot of the other guys to get in. Do you think they all should be in? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because even though, like, like, why do you think that, really? Um, I just see guys that are getting in already. I mean, there's guys like Piazza and Bagwell, and there's guys that you know that have gotten in, and maybe they weren't on the Balco list. I don't know, but it's just so crazy to me that Bond's the best player that. I ever played with and in that time he's mm-hmm. not in he was by far the best player yeah so you know. so you think like guys that like might have not gotten called on the george Mitchell report or like you said the balco list right. probably are in the hall right, right now so, so it's kinda, right so you're just like man can't keep them out can we let can we let writers off the hook and we'll be writers off the hook from voting and just have players vote for for people because it's gotten I don't know if you you see the ballots ever right but it's gotten ridiculous right no I haven't seen the ballots but it's it's terrible some some don't vote for him and then you also have your we had uh I don't know if Jim Salisbury was reporting when you were around um yeah. but he uh he uh voted for Bryce Harbor for MVP and he put Tatis at fifth because he knew that was gonna mess up Tatis's um Hall of Fame voting 
uh, not Hall of Fame, uh, MVP voting numbers and whatnot. So it's kind of a little bit oh, of a really? collusion there and everything. Right. The Cy Young, the Cy Young Award was completely mm-hmm. it, that was even worse. There was a couple of guys from uh, Milwaukee who put uh, Wheeler and like fourth or fifth when he obviously deserved to be number two in the bout, which kind of messed some things right. up. Some guys, uh, Brandon Crawford uh, got a second place MVP vote from somebody or a first place MVP vote from someone in San Francisco. It's just, it's, it's getting out of control. And these, and this is actually affecting right. guys, contracts and incentives and stuff. So I think some mm. players should have to vote for, yeah, for uh, the hall of so, fame. Yeah. And Isn't the that crazy? Harper didn't make the all-star team and he gets MVP. That's pretty awesome. It's wild, yeah. isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, that's all I have for you, man. I mean, I appreciate you coming on. I hope you have a good weekend. I hope I see you sometime next next uh, uh, no. next I'll season. Be, I'm, well, I'm going to Philly's fantasy camp in January. That should okay, be. Is that down in Florida? So I'll see some guys. Yeah, down in Florida. Cool. Um, and then alumni weekend. Uh, I'll be here in August. I guess it is. Just hope there's no bomb threats to LAX this time, right? <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm playing. You got to be kidding me. I thought you were lying to me to get out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, uh, Levy's actually not an alumni weekend." All right, unbelievable. Oh man, well, thanks Excellent. so much, man, and yeah. uh, and good luck with everything. And you know, you're welcome on anytime. I always appreciate these. Thanks, Kyle.